friends, Romans, countrymen. What's up, y'all? You are tuned to the podcast that answers questions about the nature of art, uh, the nature of the human experience in a fungible media environment, and all sorts of stuff like that. It is Monday, February 11th. Valentine's Day is coming up. And you know what I love? Worm Quartet. Worm Quartet. Now, a lot of you may recognize him as someone I collaborated with on my This Gigantic Robot Kills album. We did a cover of the Adam and His Package metric song. It's the last track on that album. And Worm Quartet is an artist who is often uh, connected with the Fump Artist, the Funny Music Project, which is an online database of like funny parody songs run by Devo Spice and the great Luke Ski. And I met Luke Ski years ago. I was in the Usenet, Weird Al Usenet forum when I was trying to get my start. I was like, hey, I make funny songs. What do I do? Like, how do I get my start? And Luke Ski was kindly introduced me to Dr. Demento or he said, hey, send it to Dr. Demento. He might play your stuff. And I did. And Dr. Demento played my song Rap Beth, which was my Macbeth rap when I was like in high school. So that is awesome. Um, But Worm Quartet was one of those artists who was huge on Dr. Demento's show, especially when Dr. Demento was syndicated with terrestrial radio. And on this episode, I went to Shoebox's house. Uh, that's Worm Quartet's name, Tim Chris. I went to his house in Rochester and we talked about the origins of the project. We talked about what it was like being in West Virginia, feeling kind of like culturally alienated, how he got into mod tracking, which was like a precursor to MIDI, which was like a way to create music on your computer without having to have external hardware. And talk about how he, his band had a bunch of members and eventually it became a solo thing. And because of necessity being the mother of invention, he started making this solo music. And when he first saw Adam and his package live, he realized, okay, you can, I can pull this off with just myself and my music. So, you know, I first heard Warren Quartet on mp3.com back in the day. There was um, a lot of funny stuff on there on the comedy charts, like this guy Bent Frame, who did the Star Wars gangster rap. And remember Jar Jar Binks Must Die? Like, that was another song. And um, yeah, it was kind of crazy. So we talk about Dr. Demento, the origin of like the underground funny music stuff, the relationship to nerdcore. And he has a funny story about how when he played a show in Doctor in Rochester with Dr. Demento, they had an amazing talk about emo and punk music. And Dr. Demento showed his knowledge of Rites of Spring and Minor Threat and all this stuff, which is makes sense that Dr. Demento did this punk rock compilation recently. So the other thing we talk about is Worm Quartet's, he says, his 15 minutes of fame, which are now in syndication, which some of you may have seen. He was on the show called Totally Obsessed with Fred Willard, where um, he shows his love for Pac-Man. He acts kind of ridiculous, but he says, we talk about how they edited it together to make him look really silly. So it's interesting hearing like him, you know, deconstruct that 15 years later. And I remember seeing that and then piecing it together that he was the dude on mp3.com. He talks about novelty as freeing, that he thought about one day maybe doing serious music, but being a novelty artist means you can write about anything. And Warm Quartet has some great records. I recommend them all. He opened for I Fight Dragons and Me in Rochester when we were back up there. So we talk about that. We did. I did this interview before that, and it's a great interview with a great guy. He and I are working on some educational punk rap uh, songs that we're going to do some puppet videos for. So that's coming up. Um, but before we get into this interview, I want to give a shout out to the amazing Patreon supporters. I've been doing these Freestyle Fridays where I rap about stuff and people give me suggestions and I keep people up on what I'm doing. And the Patreon supporters who have been on, 
who messaged me got like some free shirts this past week and we got some new people signing up. So shout out to Eric, Rachel Johnson and Harvey Birdman Esquire. I don't know if it's the actual cartoon character, but if it is, I can't believe Harvey Birdman is supporting. Also, shout out to some of the old supporters. Peter, Jennifer Starr, and Derek Dugan. Thank you all very, very much. If you don't know about the Patreon, it's patreon.com slash mclars. And I'm never going to do ads for this podcast, but if you like the podcast, if you want to give a dollar or two for, for the music on the side, it can't, it can't hurt. But I know a lot of you are already Patreon supporters, and I very much appreciate you. Let's get into this interview with Worm Quartet right here on the MC Lars podcast. Oh, and we're going to end with, the, uh, of course, the metric song. And this spring, I'm going to the UK with Mega Ran and Cuckoo Kangaroo and uh, Ruled by Raptors, and we're, we're going to be doing songs from the Robot Kills album, which turned 10 years old this month, which turns 10 years old this month. Thank you, Worm Quartet. Enjoy. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with a man I've known for a long time. Never actually sat down and interviewed, but I've always wanted to. Yay. Shoebox of Worm Quartet. Hi, Shoebox. How you doing? How are you? I seem to be okay. We are in your um, beautiful basement surrounded by amazing, like I'm looking around. This is like a museum of nerd, punk, geek, uh, video game history. Tell me about some of the stuff down here. This is all recently reset up. We had a flood a couple of years back, so we had to kind of, I had to kind of re-put everything up. So it's not, I haven't gotten to that wall yet. I'm pointing at things on a podcast. That's, that's, that's. Let me describe. There's like an Adamus package posters. Signed, mind Signed Adamus package posters. Signed Weird Al CD. There's a, you have an MC Lars sticker on your, on your, Video game wall here. That's one of two MC Lars things I have. I also have the, the handwritten thing that you gave me when you, you had me join you for uh, uh for Hot Topics, not Punk Rock, and you quickly wrote the wrote the words on a sheet of paper, and I kept that. Where did you grow up, dude? Um, kind of up and down the East Coast. I, first, it was way the hell upstate New York, like near Potsdam, and uh, moved to West Virginia for three years. Uh, they issued me, me a mullet there, so I kept that for a while. Um, then. Massachusetts for a few years and then graduated and got a job in Syracuse and moved out this way. What were you doing in West Virginia? Like your family got a new job or? Yeah. My, my parents are both teachers. Uh, my dad was a college professor, found a job in West Virginia. So we went there and it, it, it was, it, it was there. It was, it was interesting. How long were you down there? Three years. Wow. Three. Yeah. <laughs> and then where'd you go to college? Uh, Western New England College in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. Ah. My, my dad was the dean of engineering there, so tuition was free, so I didn't look around too much elsewhere. Yeah. And so I was like, hey, I can actually get out of life without student loans. And I you know, married Kim, and she went to school, so I got student loans anyway. So you can't <laughs> escape them. What did you major in? Engineering? Uh, electrical engineering, yeah, with, the, with computer option, which I mean, it's the closest they had to a, like a software engineering program, so I went that route. I knew I wanted to do programming of some sort, so went that route. And then did you do grad school? I did not do grad school. I considered going back to that, uh, just and I didn't want to <laughs> yeah. ever. I mean, I, I wanted to for the point of having it, but I really didn't want it. it once I got out of school, it's like, I, I don't want to do that anymore. It's just, just ugh. I can go to a place and then I go home and at the end of the day, you're home and you don't have to think about it anymore. <laughs> and school is a completely different thing. So, And you can start making money with your skills. Right. You can do that. <laughs> so yeah, I'm mean, after a few years, it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, it got, it, it, it was ridiculous. So now I've been, I've been a programmer since, since 97. Jeez. 
So you've I'm really seen, old, Lars. You've seen a lot th- change, right? I, I, I have. <laughs> so what brought you to the Rochester area? Because you lived, you said you lived upstate. Yeah, well, originally, but when yeah. I I moved to Syracuse for a job after college and uh, ended up in Rochester because I I met Kim, uh, met her online through, through a mutual friend online, basically, and just showed up at my house one day because she wanted to visit me because I had a spatula collection. She found out I had a and that, so she wanted, to, she wanted to meet me for that reason. I still have it. It's in the other room. It's in a box right now. So, but yeah. uh, we ended up moving to Rochester because her uh, she had she was working out in Rochester and wanted to do that, and we were trying to figure out where she was going to go to school, and she ended up going out this way. So, yes. And so you moved here for love. We moved here for love. But yes. Syracuse is close, kind of, right? It is, yeah. It's like an hour, a little over an hour from here. And then we're about an hour from Buffalo, right? Also true, yes. So, like, Rochester is, is very centrally located in western New York. Yes. And it's also, it's got the history here, right? Kodak used to be here, right? Kodak, it's still here. Just, oh. You just wouldn't know it. <laughs> still here. And, and there's RIT, right? RIT is most definitely here. Susan B. Anthony, all those wonderful things for Frederick Douglass, all yeah, history-wise. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I work in the photo industry in Rochester, and I do not work for Kodak. What do you do? For your day job. I am currently, as of a couple of years ago, I'm actually a manager now. I'm a software development manager. I, I've been programming forever, and now I've actually got people working for me. So think about that next time you're listening to, you know, Wookiee Ween. It's like, hey, this guy sings about Chewbacca's wiener, and also people have to work for him. <laughs> well, you've got people skills, which you, being a mu- musician, you have to have those too. Okay, now, that's been a recent development, and that's uh, why you haven't seen many announcements of me doing shows. That's taken up far more of my time. I always think I'm going to do this, and I'm still going to do everything else. You know, I had a kid. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll still do shows, and yeah, it, it, it's not going to stop me. None of this is ever going to. I'll just take on more stuff and all this. Yeah. And eventually, you know, reality catches up, and you don't do quite as many. I'm really psyched about our show next weekend, though. It's going to be awesome. We are doing <laughs> a show with I Fight Dragons. Yes. At in Hanoi Falls. Hanoi Falls, which is a, this bowling alley, which um. Like we used to play, we used to play together. We'd play at uh, Water Street. Water Street, right? Which now is a new new ownership, right? I heard. Right. It, it is now uh, Funk and Waffles. Yeah. So it, it, I don't, I know their first band. I think they had played there was actually George Clinton. Um, That's tight. So they they serve waffles and they have shows, which to me, I mean, I think I told you about that when I found out about that. It's like that's just a. It, it seems like you're just begging to have your merchandise covered in syrup. <laughs> At the end of the night, you're going to be watching syrup off your merch. There's one in Syracuse, too, or yeah. two, two, actually. Yeah, there are. That's right. So it's like a chain, I guess, in this part of the state. Yeah. But the reason I mention that is Rochester, for me, it's always been like such an interesting music scene because there's the rap stuff, there's like, mm-hmm. there's the punk stuff, and then there's like electronic stuff. And then. There's you, who's this amazing encapsulation of everything I love about indie and comedy and punk and electronic music. And so it's always a thrill when we get to join forces and like bring our bring our strange combination of music to our fans. Yeah, it's always fun, right? Play, yeah. Playing. Oh, here. definitely, man. Definitely. Without a doubt. I, I've always, you know, you've had me play. I've opened for you a couple times in, in Rochester before, I think. It's, it's been... Both times at Water Street, I think. Was it twice? Probably, yeah. Every I, time I, I come up here, I'm like, Ken, is Shoebox, does he have time and really right. do it? And what do I have to do to get you on the show? Actually, I think it was once in Rochester and once uh, in Albany. I, I opened for you once in Albany. Whoa. Who that was, was that with? That was Frontalot? with, uh, yeah, Frontalot and... Uh, uh, um, Whitey Cracker. Whitey Cracker. So it would have been 2008, man. Yeah. I've known about you since way before that, though. Right. And um, it's interesting that, like, learning about your story, I didn't realize... 
Originally, Worm Quartet was three people. It was a band, right? Or it was. It was it originally started. It was just me, and I was just doing very dumb things. Very, I, I, I just moved from West Virginia, Massachusetts, didn't have any friends, and it was the beginning of the summer, so I wasn't really going to meet anyone, and I, I was bored. And I started making music in my in my bedroom. Um, very bad. Uh, tons of parodies, which I never do now. And it was mostly done by actually singing over the original tracks. It was it was it was, it was pathetic. Did you release any of those parodies? Uh, there are ten tapes of that, which you will never find, no matter how hard you look. And I thank <laughs> God for that. I mean, if I had been born in the internet age and all that crap had you know, come out, I mean, it would still be there somewhere. The magnetic tapes have probably kind of you know worn out by now. I wasn't protective. I was happily selling them to everybody. Man, I was proud of the stuff at the time. I I, I you know that that's. One thing you have to not know you suck in order to grow as an artist. A lot of people have said yeah. that, and it's totally true. Um, and yeah, th there was a couple of decent ideas that I ended up expanding on later, but for the most part, it was just ten tapes of crap. What? Okay, so what's one of the parodies you remember? Just one. Uh, did a parody of "Shout Out the Devil" called "Shout Out the Gerbil." <laughs> yeah, I did. That happened. And you said you recorded over like what, like the karaoke or? No, 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 no. Just the, the full track. <laughs> the, the actual track. Yeah, just kind of, kind of. Turned it down a bit so you could sort of hear the music and you hear me say, and you know, you could still hear Vince Neil screaming away in the background. It, it was it was very poorly done, and I, I'm, I'm I'm telling you about it, but very I, punk punk rock. You didn't care. <laughs> I, I didn't. Well, Tim, I mean, one of the things that I love about you that makes you stand out from the other comedy artists and anyone else in the scene or in the nerdcore scene is you have an amazing you have amazing tone. And your voice, and you have amazing sense of of melody when you're writing songs, and you have this musicality that when I first heard your stuff, I was like, this stuff is funny, and the lyrics to tell a story, and it's great. But I always get your freaking melodies in my head, like 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 I think about them constantly. They become this earworm, and that is a rare gift because so much novelty music, and this is not denigrating other people, it trades on, haha, this is funny. We're joking, like the lyrics are funny. Haha, ha, we we shouldn't be rapping, but we're rapping like nerdcore and stuff. R right. But you're a songwriter, man. <laughs> well, thanks, man. And a great a great songwriter. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's, I know I, I know what you're saying. It's like a, a lot of comedy music focuses on the comedy, and the music's kind of secondary. And I, I just I, I, I've written music forever, so I, I've always enjoyed it. And yeah, I want, want to put effort into it. It's like I, I always thought that Worm Quartet was going to be like kind of a side project, and I was going to do something serious. But the more I did with it, it's just like I can say more with this crap i mean with the risk of you know being overly stupid about this i mean I, there's a lot i can do with that there, there's not really a lot of boundaries as far as what subjects you can tackle what kind mm. of crap you can think about and, it, and it's you know it's it's interesting and that that's, tends to be the kind of crap i like to write anyway i like to you know throw the weird on it so and you're a good storyteller. Well, thank you. What so what so you did you used to play like in in bands in in high school and stuff or not really. I mean, I, well, I, I mean, other than the school band played saxophone, but uh, no, I, I didn't. I, I was doing, like I said, I was doing, I was doing it by myself for a while. I put together Worm Quartet as a full-on band. By full-on, I mean we were up to three people. We were never an actual quartet. You, you, so that, that's that, that's funny. The name has always been stupid. Yeah. <laughs> So, and they were characters you make came up with, like, right? Yeah. There was it's it, well, that's where it started. It started as just cartoons I was drawing for for people in in West Virginia, just kind of drawing cartoons of people and and, and you know giving them people just draw four worms and say, hey, look, it's a worm quartet, and then to somebody they you know turned them into penises and sent it back to me saying, look, it's the pecker quartet, and then it just you know, it kind of grew from there, thankfully. <laughs> 
as all great things come from stupid <laughs> ideas. Yes. Not that, I'm not saying it's stupid, but or from things. Oh you don't no, expect. It, it's a very stupid idea. I I, I don't know. Why. I mean, when I <laughs> ended up when it got to when it got to some minor thing, when I actually ended up putting out a CD and all that crap, it's like, you know, I got to keep the name. I don't want to lose my fan base of you know twelve people who are already familiar with this. So I've kept the stupid name all this time, and it keeps getting dumber and dumber to try to change it. So I, I'm I'm Worm Quartet, and I'm just gonna be Worm Quartet. Where does the shoebox <laughs> moniker come from? <laughs> that was uh, that's been my online handle since online was a thing that I got involved in. Um, it. It was in my mind at the time because I've been listening to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio episodes, and there's this one line, well, he wasn't so much a leopard, more sort of, well, you know, shoebox, and that stuck with me, so I started calling myself shoebox. So what year are we talking then? What was the first time you ever recorded as Worm Quartet? What year would that have been? For the original tapes, that was 91. I finally released a demo of any sort, which was Urine Sampler. That was in 96, and at that point, we were a two-piece. Um so again, yeah, never quartet. We were two piece. I had, had, had uh, with with a guy with a drum machine producing the things and helping out and recording us on the the you know the Tascam four track that everyone has to use at some point. If, <laughs> yeah. If, unless you were you know born more recently than me. We we put out the demo. I ended up moving away. Uh, we tried to keep it together going for a bit. It didn't work out, and I ended up just kind of taking stuff I'd written for the band and trying to figure out what to do with it from here. And mm. that's when I started putting out anything that actually sounded like Warp Quartet at all. Cause I had, what I had was stuff I was playing with. I was playing with like mod tracking programs, scream tracker and all that kind of stuff. And I was enjoying the hell out of that. So I said, okay, let's take some of these songs and see if I can redo them in that format. So they started as punk songs that were meant to be played by a band and they kind of, you know, what could I do to make these happen? It's just, uh, Again, necessity, mother of invention, all that crap. It's like it, it, it was just born of I'm gonna make something with what I've got, <laughs> and that's kind of the spirit of punk rock, too, right? Something from nothing by necessity, sure. nothing was gonna stop you, just with a little bit more of an antisocial element because I'm, I'm just I did it completely on my own, never bothered looking for more people to work with, <laughs> just kept, kept it going, kept thinking about putting together a band, and I started liking the way it was sounding with you know the, the cheesy noises I was getting, so I. I kept going with it and i can't imagine like your songs being played on stage with a full rock band necessarily i mean i can i can but i think what's so charming about it is it's that digital synth digital drums which now sound like a very much of that era which Mm -hmm. you've been but over the years your sound has like expanded i think that you've made that work to your benefit you know what i mean i think so i mean it's it's odd i mean depending on the other bands that are playing and all and, and you know the crowd and the environment and what the sound, yeah, what the sound system's able to do. Sometimes it comes out stupid. Uh, I mean, sometimes it just it, it doesn't quite work out, and it's just you know it looks like one guy doing karaoke with you know in front of a bunch of other bands. For me, you know, we're similar in that way. Like I started hmm. in a punk band, and then being solo, it's easier to organize a practice when you don't when it's just you trying to rehearse the lyrics. Oh yeah, yeah, that's tight. Definitely, yeah. You, you can practice whatever the hell you want to. You don't have to worry about other people showing up. You don't have to worry about hauling drum gear around. You don't have to smell your drummer after a show. There's a lot of advantages to it. You don't have to split the the money if there is. <laughs> like that's nice. But what you said about like you're very reliant on a good PA, right? If you play yeah. a venue that has a bad PA, for me, I much rather would have a band to help me out. But oh, what, definitely. Otherwise, it, yeah, it, it can be very underwhelming, especially when you're playing with bands on a bill. Right. Right. That can be embarrassing. Uh, when I started performing, because I I done the one when I put out. Uh, Sumophobia, 
my, my first release on mp3.com. I was at the top something of the comedy charts. I, I was constantly getting my ass handed to me by Tom Green. He had a song, that, that Bum Bum song. It was just at number one forever. Yeah, but other than him, yeah. I remember that's where I first became aware of you because I was like, who is this person? Because you were consistently you were consistently up in the top whatever charts. Mm-hmm. And so that was like, I was, I was intrigued by that, but I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, MB3.com. No, <laughs> yeah. I met you through, well, I, I didn't meet you through that, but you, I guess, found me through that. I didn't yeah. meet you till years later. Brian uh, of, of, of the Gothicals found me that way too. We found each other that way. We ended up meeting by chance later at a con, I guess. I just played Raven Con with him, which was a, a Poe theme music convention oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. down in um, Richmond. Mm-hmm. And so that was tight. That's He's, awesome. They're awesome. But anyway, small world. So he found you on mb3.com. Sir. Right. Yeah. And this would have been, what, 98, 99? Uh, yeah, 99 or 2000. Okay. It was in, in that era. I, I think 99. I have to pull up a CD and look at the date on it. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that's when it was. Because the cool thing, you could upload mp3s and order a CD of yourself and they'd right. mail it to you, right? right? Or multiple. You could sell the CDs there and they just kind of burn them you know, on the fly, which, you know, was, or... And it would come with the MP3s too, so you didn't have to rip it. The MP3s were right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, on the to, disc as like enhanced. The, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. So, and it came with a player, so you could look at the album cover while you were listening to it. Just seriously high tech stuff. <laughs> I don't know what happened to that. I remember when they went out of business. I still had like, I remember the first time I got like a check from them. Yeah. And then they went out of business. I had like twenty dollars on there, and I was like so mad. I was like. <laughs> This is so irresponsible. <laughs> you remember, like you could get paid your cash out your royalties or use them to to produce and burn more CDs. So I, I okay. So you were doing the MP3. I didn't know you were selling stuff there. You were selling stuff on MP3. Yeah, account but as well? like like but. for me, it was like you know I was like sixteen, so it was like if I made five dollars, I was like ecstatic. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's where your your first album was Sumophobia. My first, uh, yeah, my first full, full on CD with actual music by me, not recording over records and all that crap. Yeah, I mean, I, I sent it to a few people, played it to some people at work, sent it to a few. Somebody told me I should send it to Dr. Demento. And I'm like, oh, he's never going to play my crap. I mean, what, why would he be into that? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll send it to him, but what the hell? And he played a couple songs for me. He played I Bit William Shatner. That was the first song he ever played, which blew my mind. So I was on the Dr. Demento show. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and that was still in the air in Syracuse, so I could actually listen to me on the air in Syracuse. Doing the, the, Do you remember what, nice. like, did you know you were going to be on? No, this time around, he did send me a note saying he was going to play it. So I, I I listened to me on the air. and That's awesome. So, yeah. Figured that was going to change everything. It's like, I'm on I'm on the Dr. Demento show now. I, I got it made. It's all, <laughs> it's all good. That must have been awesome because Dr. Demento, of course, broke so many of the comedy artists we know and yeah. love. Yeah. Namely, one of our mutual heroes, Weird Al. Oh yeah. So it's I like him. you ever heard of that guy? I think so. So it's like it's Dr. Demento was the yeah, it was like the place back then where weird music existed. And he kind of without him we wouldn't have the music culture we do. Or would or at least it would be very different. Yeah, no, I'd say so. He yeah, he he uh dug up novelty acts that people hadn't heard of in a very long time, brought them back to people. My my wife actually grew up kind of listening to him. And her mom, <laughs> our mom, because they, they, they were in, they, they were from California. So uh, they, they heard him before he was you know, worldwide. I hadn't been somewhere that got this show uh, earlier in my life, but I mean, it, I, I bought a, I bought the tapes, all, all the compilation tapes and stuff like that. And I heard of, you know, a few taped episodes of his show and stuff. Mm. And I just, I, did, I loved it. Absolutely loved his stuff. Have you met him in real life? Yeah. I met him for the first time um, at MarsCon in 2003. Three, it was just before Great Idea for a Song. Uh, I, I had kind of weaseled my way onto the bill at MarsCon. Yeah. 
and uh, got to meet him there, and yeah, that was awesome. He, he was in the audience for, for one of the shows I did, and, and that was just, yeah, that was really fantastic. See him out there watching. Yeah. And that's a man who, his love for music and being a champion for, like, weird music in a context where the barrier to entry to, like, a mainstream audience was a lot about your people had to trust your taste and your music knowledge had to be super strong. Didn't he, isn't he like he studied musicology or something? He knows everything about every form of music you can possibly imagine. It's crazy. I, I, I sat with him once. I did a show with him in, um, in Rochester at at the montage, uh, back when it was the montage grill, very different establishment. Now they, they had tables and stuff and you've performed there recently. You know, they don't quite do that anymore. It's, It's more open space. They do a lot of metal bands, but yeah, this was, you know, all seated and stuff. So I actually sat and had, dinner with Dr. Demento before the show. Wow. And I, I'm like, talked to him about various things. And he's was mentioned he was currently reading a book about emo. I'm like, oh, okay. And I, I, so I started talking about, you know, like you know, Fugazi and Rites of Spring before and, and all this. And he, you know, he, he was keeping up with the conversation just fine. He knew all these things. Mentioned something about what it was currently going on with Phil Spector because he was in the news at the time uh for you know supposedly killing somebody <laughs> and you know yeah. he casually responded to that by talking about a party he'd been to at phil Spector's house i'm just i'm just sitting there with this just, oh my god yeah he's, <laughs> he's, he's a got, legend he is he, he knows everything he's got stories about everything he's, he's amazing to talk to Absolutely and a super nice guy right ridiculously nice guy yeah yeah and he's been super supportive of my stuff so uh, if you're listening to this podcast thank you for so much <laughs> Barrett Hansen, right? Barrett Hansen, yes. Not only is he Bart Simpson's mortal enemy, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's Shoebox's greatest champion, so yes. it balances out. <laughs> Definitely. When did stupid video game music come out? Stupid video game music was 2001. I was, I, I, I rushed that one out. I desperately wanted to get something new out. I, I was, uh, not in a bad way, I just, I was excited, and I was making a lot of things. I mean, I, I, you know, the Dear God and, and Frank's not the band anymore and all that, and that, that, uh, I wanted to put out a new thing. And so, yeah, and I had time at that point, which was awesome. So I, I did. <laughs> what I love about Frank's not in the band is the melody. I love how it's sad, but it's also like victorious. Yeah. And I love like it's, you know, the story of how the surgery <laughs> surgery goes wrong and how it has a happy ending kind of. Right. And it's like, yeah, that song is so good, man. That song is always in my head. And it's like, that's like, what's the story behind that song? Because that's a, that's a classic, <laughs> classic Warm Quartet. I, I don't know. Is it because you were losing it's, members? I, I was, and, and probably at some level, yeah. It, it was partially because I was losing members, partially about you know what I was hoping would happen to Lars Ulrich at the time, I guess. But I think we both tackled that. Uh, was the Def Leppard drummer like a... In- was that an influence? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, it, it seems obvious that it would be. I mean, I, the fact that I was aware of its existence probably creeped in somewhere. I, I don't know what the hell made me write that one. That, that's one of those weird ones where I can't <laughs> precisely tell you. It just, it's such a stupid idea. It just kept giving somehow. <laughs> Some of our listeners who may have not heard that song, how would you just tell the story in a few sentences? <laughs> Start with a drummer who's in, who is in the band, and then he decides to go have uh, gender reassignment surgery. Ends up... Uh, they mess up the paperwork and he loses an arm. Um, then, you, keep, you know, he tries to be back in the band doing the one-armed thing. And while we're in the midst of deciding whether to let him back in or not and kind of leaning towards the positive, uh, his brother is upstairs in the loft of the place and drops a chainsaw, cutting off his other arm. <laughs> and it, 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 he just basically continuously runs out of limbs throughout the song. And it 
gets about as dumb as you think it would. I remember studying literature. It's like the willful suspension of disbelief. Right. Like the idea that the gender reassignment surgery would go wrong. He'd lose an arm. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to follow you on this story <laughs> because I'm invested in this. And I feel like that's a lot of your your music. It's like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to give this a shot. And you always like reward your listeners <laughs> for taking that shot. Which is awesome because I get to, you know, you, you, sometimes if, if I get a crowd that's actually paying attention, I get these looks of half smiling concern across. I love to see that. <laughs> that's what your music evokes. Oh, thank you. Um, once you get infected by the worm quartet virus you can't escape it so it's like your music has always been you know like in my life personally like i have a few people who i meet as friends and then people who i'm also fans with who i always like try to incorporate in my life and it's very it's a small group especially as i get older it like shrinks and like i just i don't know i just want to effusively tell you that you're in that pantheon for Aww, me thank you when did we first meet in real life would that have been BR was playing the living crap out of you at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that hot topic. So I, I heard you a couple times. Like this, this is awesome. I, it, this is funny, and it 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 it's it, it it's rap, but it's it it's got serious melody to it, and it's it's catchy as fuck, and it just <laughs> thank you. Oh, I, I really dug that. It, was, it had such an interesting mix of styles. A couple of friends of mine had gone to your show and said that they'd mentioned me, and that you'd. You, you had responded saying, oh, yeah, I don't work with that. I didn't know he was around here or something like that. And then uh, they had tried to contact me because you'd said that if I was around, I could uh, play a couple songs or something. They had failed to contact me. But next time you were, you know, I, I contacted you after that. And yeah, next time you were up, we, we, we managed to hook up. I remember, yeah, you emailed me. I was like, oh, shoot. I was so ex It was one of those moments. It was like, this is like, I felt like that was a, uh, I didn't. I'd achieved this milestone because this guy I looked up to who was big on the internet reached out back to me. <laughs> and it was, that was like, that, that was special, man. When I first heard for you and then seeing your, all the work you were doing with the fump, I'm trying to figure out the chronology because faster right. than a speeding mullet. That was, that was Oh four. That was Oh four. And this would yeah. have been before. So this is uh before hot topic that my hot topic song would have been Oh five Oh six. Right. There's five, so it's it's stupid video game music, yep. faster speeding mullet, mm -hmm. mental notes, mm -hmm. music for the maniacs, songs of the maniacs, songs of the maniacs. Uh, you, I think I you, skipped you, the you first skipped one. Sumophobia, yes. Sumophobia. Okay, so you have five full lengths. I have five full lengths. That's a lot, man. Yeah. Are you working on new a new al any new albums? I very much am. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's going so ridiculously slowly. It's stupid. It's it's like it, you can if you draw a chart of my of, of how long it is between albums. It's it's been yeah. It keeps getting longer. You know what I love is Patreon. Have you ever thought about jumping on that? Do you know that site? I, yeah. No, I, I, you're the second person to ask me about that today. Are you serious? <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I, I've contemplated that because uh, it seems like it would be in my case it would be a really good kick in the ass to just kind of keep me moving. As because yeah, like, like I said, I, I I've been busy with so much other crap. I. So it, it seems like it might be good from that perspective. I just, uh, I, I think I need some momentum before I really get there. And I've got, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of stuff written, which is kind of where this conversation started. I guess you were asking about a new album. Yes. You do. <laughs> I have new stuff. How written. many songs? I think I've got like eight so far. That's good. Yeah. And uh, albums these days are often shorter, you know? This is true. So you might have an album on your hands. I, <laughs> that's right. I wanted to ask you, so what is your writing process like? Um... Well, I start with the adverbs, and then I add the profanity, and then Copiously. just kind of guess the rest. I mean, it just, 
I've had I've seen people use different methods of doing this. I've seen the most interesting, I think, would be Luke Ski because he makes lists. He makes lists of everything he wants to mention about something and then tries to figure out how to get it together. It's never been like that for me. I, it, it usually, I mean, it comes to me in song form generally. I'll have a few ideas that I'll kind of jot to the side, but for the most part, it'll. I get the music and the and, and the lyrics at basically the same time. There's something that seems obvious to me that needs to go together. Um, it doesn't always stay that way. Sometimes I'll end up you know, reusing it for something else. Great idea for a song. Uh, the music I was putting together for that, I originally was for a completely different thing. You did the John Tesh piano version for yes. the Pump compilation. <laughs> and that is like, it's it stands on its own as just melodically a great piece. So you recognize this needs to like, I've got a strong melody. I need to make sure this, the hook is strong. Definitely. Because, well, again, it, it was just, I, I knew I had a, the, the, the lyrics for great idea that, that I was working on, I, I knew that was coming out really good. That was coming out better than I thought I was going to. And then the music for this other one was coming out better than I thought. I'm like, I'm just going to, I've got to make some changes here because <laughs> this belongs here. Is the great idea for a song is based on truth? It is. It oh, is. Uh, I'm yeah. sorry. No, no, it's all good. I'd gotten an email from somebody who I hadn't talked to in years who we'd had a, uh, we had a very bad breakup with. And just, oh, hi, how you doing? What's going on? So I'm like, what? Just let's pretend nothing ever happened. Sure, let's do that. I'm like, what did she want? I, I don't. She just was communicating, and I'm like, okay, I can either reply to this email or I can write a song. So let, let's go that way. So has she heard it? I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, <laughs> it's possible. At least one of my ex girlfriends heard me on the Doctor Demento show and sent you know sent me a note saying that she'd heard it. But that was you know, we, we were on good terms. There was nothing bad. There. That's a great feeling, right? Right. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> good just, job. just somebody heard me in Chicago. I was like, damn neat. <laughs> I, I'm talking about one person in this song, but I'm worried it's going to come out as like anti woman or something like that. Right. Without the context, you're angry at this person. You don't need to hold on to that anger. Right. right? I, I I see what you're saying. Like it's I I love that song, but I also feel like I couldn't. Bump it in the car, like going to a women's march protest. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, or or playing it for someone. I'd be like, all right, this is my friend, and he's like, he's married, he's a great dad and a great husband. But this, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, yeah, you, you can't. There's songs I have that I don't play anymore. Yeah. And also, it's funny. Like, you mentioned my hot topic song. That song was a song that I'd had a riff for for a concept way before and i was like this needs to be for the right idea mm -hmm. sometimes you have the music and you're like this is cool but i need to hold on to it until i have the right idea i always say i tend to have a theme when i'm going for albums it's not, it's not like i'm deliberately doing that but it's like as i'm writing stuff a theme kind of develops it, it, and it's not you know they're not concept albums stuff like that it's just kind of uh i think Rand from uko the mock said that pretty much every album's a concept album because it's the stuff that's going through your mind at that period of your life yeah and that, that, that's very true in this case a lot of the stuff I'm running is just generally about the idea of how ridiculous it is that I'm still doing this shit at this age. Uh, it, it seems there seems to be a lot of fire there, and I'm yeah. taking full advantage of that. Um, Your last album, it's the theme <laughs> is about. I, I I noticed that it's like wrestling with your art as a dad and as a working person and as a as a husband, right? And you have that right. song about it's like depressing, but it's funny, but it's like brilliant about the passage of time. Mm. What's what's that one called again? Oh, you're talking about uh, um, I don't matter. Yeah, and that it's one? like yeah. I remember hearing this it's like heartbreaking because I'm like, oh Tim, you matter. But it's also <laughs> like this existential thing that even like does the most popular art in the world matter when we're all gone. You know what I mean? And right. I, I, I love that song because it's like sad but funny, but also like it's it strikes this nerve that we all think as creative people like are uh, do we matter and. By pondering that, maybe we do. I think, therefore, I am, right? Right. Like, <laughs> like 
Yeah, man. Do you want to talk about that song a little bit? Or? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. the, I, when I started writing that, I, w- I was kind of surprised by how dark it was getting because I, I was writing that and I, I kind of figured it was doing the, the typical, you know, you build up a bit and then you release and then you build up and you release sort of thing. And just I was not releasing. I just keep <laughs> going darker with it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, 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 I was going in, you know, the the now somewhat disgraced Louis C.K. direction, I think, of, of just keeping going with it. It just kept getting further into it and yeah ultimately I, I liked where it was going it, it's like this is this is interesting and i worried when i was done with it that it was gonna i almost left it off the album because i was worried it was coming off as too whiny um but en- enough people you know seem to be able to relate to it, it it's i mean it's a personal story i, re- I referenced my vh1 appearance on yeah, there yeah. and dr demento stuff but nonetheless there's an, I, I think you're there, i've been told there's enough uh, elements on there that people can actually relate to that it it works, I guess. Let me just speculate. Was it like your artist friends who kind of were, who were like, I've, I, I feel what you're saying, or was it just, was there no, no specific type of person? Mostly, uh, most of the people I play for are, are going to be my, my artist friends. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm lucky enough to have such friends. I mean, people who also do comedy, people who also do music, and it, it's, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but when you hang out with those kind of people, like when you're, when you're in a conversation with people who don't, do that kind of thing for a living it, it, it's like and you realize that you know if they're making jokes they stole them from somewhere and it's like yeah. well, this is this is I, I, there's something so beautiful about the nerd core and the in the fump scene the comedy music scene we all can relate to that we found this niche in this like really cruel painful world and right. like none of us have ever you know we're underground and right. we'll always be underground and that's actually a strength i think, I think and, so. and so it's like being able to like yeah, I, I I know what you're saying, but it's ours and it's original and it's our own voices and it's it's something that we own. Yeah, and that's what's like. I think we kind of rebel in that, don't you think? I, I definitely think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I first started performing, uh, we're gonna get into Adam and his package eventually. Uh, yeah. Adam and his package is was not an influence on my music originally. I somebody pointed them out to me after I started doing this, and I'm like, this is awesome. And I went to see him perform, and his performance was a huge influence on me. Just seeing this one guy with a CD player and a microphone just making a room full of punks waltz. That moment stuck with me. He just, yeah. he owned, man. He owned the crowd. He could have them. It, 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 it was fantastic. I'm like, this is how you do that. This is how you can go up on stage with nothing behind you, fully naked with just a CD player, basically, and and, and rock that shit. And that's, yeah. I started performing shortly after that, really. I, I got invited to really? a show in Syracuse by a, a, a Greg Yeti. He just said uh, he had heard my stuff and because I'd, I'd sent it to him for a review um, and, and invited me to play a, a benefit show. And I just agreed to it without having ever performed before. I'm like, OK, I guess I got to figure out how to do this now. <laughs> so so you had so. Um, played with your band before that point, And then after you were like, I'm going to do this solo or my band never performed a live show. Ah, sadly. Yeah. I performed with a couple bands since then. Just yeah. Kinda, but, but yeah, my band had the first performance I did as Worm Quartet was just, was just me. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So that Adam was kind of this like kick in the pants to do that. Definitely. And, and like him similarly is it wouldn't work though, if he didn't have great melodies and, right. and he didn't have interesting lyrics. And also what I love about him is his subtle politics to make you think about like the, um, the Palestinians are not the same thing as the Rebel, Rebel Alliance. Rebel yeah. Alliance. That's like a good, that made me think, man. Yeah. <laughs> or um, if you own the Washington Redskins, you're a cock, right? right? Like all this stuff that uh, I hadn't thought about as in that way. And humor mm-hmm. can make you think about things, but also humor can help you really 
process pain. And I right. feel like I get that also through your music. Like that song, great idea for a song, like Frank's not in the band, like wanting to find a, another member. If you weren't doing the music, Tim, that you're doing, I could tell that you might not be the happy, successful person that you are, that it's necessary for you as, as a human being. Would you agree? I, I would agree with that. Yeah. I, I, for whatever reason, I've always felt the need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been... Well, we talked about it. I've been doing this forever. <laughs> I'm guessing you're the same way because you got, I mean, you, you touch yeah. on, I mean, you, you certainly touch on personal stuff. It's not all personal, obviously, but yeah. You got to <laughs> find that balance, I think, in that, like, I think that's what made comedy music palatable because mm -hmm. it's, you got to grab them with something. And I love that yeah. Roger Rabbit quote where he says, a laugh is a powerful thing. Sometimes in life, it's the only thing we have, mm -hmm. right? And I always, I'm obsessed with Roger Rabbit and I have, all this Rod Drive stuff in my house and looking at all your Pac-Man stuff, I'm like, this is a, uh, we have kind of a corollary for our passion here. Like he's my, I probably have about the same amount of Roger Rabbit stuff in my little office. And can we talk about Pac-Man for a second? We can talk about Pac-Man. You are, I remember seeing around the time hearing your music, seeing your VH1 clip. Yeah. And I know you kind of feel maybe um, ambivalent or kind of mixed emotions about that. I did. I mean, I, I feel better about it. Basically, when that first aired, I um, I don't know where to start with this story, man. There's so much to it. We got first, first, can I describe, like, maybe it will help the audience. I'll talk about when I first saw it. Sure. And then you can talk about what went into the production of it. Sure. So I remember on VH1, they had a show called Obsessed, right? Is that, that was Totally it? obsessed. Totally obsessed. Yeah. And it was fans who love certain things. And my sister was like was like yo andrew that's my real name she's like andrew you got to see this this guy loves pac-man you love video games and it was a segment on a guy who loved pac-man and what his life was like but i could tell it was played up to be like they're trying to be like oh look at this silly guy when i knew the you who i later pieced was the guy doing the music right. that i knew <laughs> was actually kind of playing a character mm -hmm. and so that's some background on it so I remember seeing I remember seeing this guy is having fun with VH1, like pretending that he's this this obsessed, so to speak, guy about Pac-Man, but really he's kind of having fun with the medium that these people are hanging out with him. And he's a Pac-Man fan, but he's not insane. Right. So that's <laughs> so that's some background then. I had a website which is still up called the First Church of Pac-Man. It's still up. It hasn't been updated <laughs> in a very long time, but it's there. And what was the premise beside, behind that site? Uh I liked Pac-Man. I I when I was in college, I decided to I decided I wanted to create a few absolutely ridiculous websites just for the sake of playing around with HTML and all this. So I created the beat the hell out of Tipper Gore page and the the, the poorly drawn lamp page, and uh, that one was what's a poorly drawn lamp? Page? Uh, I, I I every week I would update with a new poorly drawn lamp. For, for for a while, it was just me doing them, and then other people started submitting ideas, and it became pretty decent for a while. It was, it was featured at a magazine in the UK and stuff like that. I got pictures of people who did poorly drawn lamp parties with it. It was absolutely... They, people would just send me lamps that were poorly drawn that they'd done, and I, I would come up with descriptions for them, and I've been wanting to bring that back. It, it was such a stupid idea, and it was so much fun. Well, these are... The, the intersection anyway. of you as an engineer and an artist, these are right. indicative of that, right? A creative <laughs> so. person who also... Yeah, who would think to do that? It's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, the first Richard Pac-Man was one of those things. I, it was uh, kind of a a way to put some actual Pac-Man information out there because I, I like Pac-Man. It was presented as a religion, sort of, you know, uh, the, the great yellow one, the blessed redeemer who guides us through the maze of life and makes our enemies blue and edible. I had a guest book on there and somebody told me I was going to be going to hell for my sin. So I added a disclaimer that said, warning, not a religion, do not worship. And that failed to make the problem go away, but I felt better. Uh, 
but VH1 found it's like that. a Christian person who, or someone who thought you were making fun of religion. Yeah, yeah. Which you were, you weren't. You were kind of making fun of pop culture obsession, right? Largely, yes. It's the second time you've mentioned that, and I'm wearing an Andy Warhol shirt right now. That's so appropriate. Um, pa- and Pac-Man Fever, that was like a that was like a big hit record. Like there was that. What was funny to me about it was like in the '80s, everyone was obsessed with Pac-Man. Yeah, but you kept this joke going yeah and that's why i think is fresh and this was before i mean it, it hadn't come back in the retro form that it really has now uh but i, I, I had fun with the website i mean that was uh I, I ended up through that talking to some people at namco who were working on a place of uh, pac-man world for the playstation they sent me a bunch of crap like that i'm pointing to stuff again in podcast the, and i'll describe it. this is like a cool probably 2000 era uh cgi pac-man but it's it's got it's like three a 3d cutout thing with a mirror right did i guess the age right by looking at the design i think so let's look at the copyright hold on absolutely <laughs> no it says 1999 okay it was close wow i was gonna say worst case i have the internet in my pants <laughs> yeah right right that's faster but so you got so basically people affiliated with the brand of pac-man were like this guy Loves Pac-Man. Yeah. And so you started getting... What about this one here? This first family video games, Pac-Man World. Uh, yeah, they sent me that too. I, for a while, I mean, I, I was... I, I reviewed the games too when they came out. They sent me review copies of the games and I reviewed them in basically the same kind of voice. <laughs> so there's Pac-Man, so. Miss Pac-Man, like Pac-Man World. How many variations are there of oh, there? Oh, God. So many. Uh, what do they change? It's like 3D or what? Uh, well, as far as the Pac-Man World, you mean... You mean you're talking the newer ones? Yeah, or? like the games, like, like he eats the dots... And then he's the dots in 3D. But are, <laughs> is there like a side scroller where it's like Mario or something? Or this something? one, yeah, the Pac-Man World was that was actually a really well done one. That was a, a, a 3D world thing where, where yeah, kind of like the 3D Mario things that were out at the time. So you were running and jumping, and you could, in addition to eating the dots, you could throw the dots at things to make them explode. You could do your typical butt bouncing thing, like you know, and like everything else there, where you you know you jumped on things to to destroy them. You could do that. With, with, and the ghosts was, and stuff yeah. were in there. They were. Yeah. You couldn't butt b- bounce them. Them you could only you had to eat them. Were there like bosses and like for each level? Like there were bosses. The big boss was uh what was this giant robot thing called Talkman that wanted to uh, become the new Pac-Man. <laughs> so that was. I remember all these things. This is information that stole my brain. That's cool. Okay. So okay, so I definitely you know I veered you way off track, but That's you fine. had this website, I and the website, website was like getting mad love from the pac-man community it, it was indeed and uh vh1 was doing they specifically reached out as they said we're looking to find somebody who's obsessed with pac-man for the show we're doing do you happen to know anybody like that i'm like oh, yeah <laughs> so i kind of volunteered for it they called me a couple times to so talk vh1 to me about reached it. out to you directly yeah okay yeah. yeah so they called me and they talked to me about it a bit and they, they were kind of it was clear that they were kind of trying to uh they were looking for stories from me that would, you know, that kind of fit what they were looking for from an obsessed point of view. But you had that song, um, Pac-Man is Naked and So Should You, right? Yes, I did. That's the name of it, right? Yes. So you were like, this is an opportunity to promote my music. Definitely. That, yeah. was, that was one of the things I was definitely thinking. At the time, Worm Quartet was doing better than I thought it was going to. This was in 2004 when I had to, you know, I, I was on Dr. Demento every week. I actually got a couple of BMI checks. I mean, this was... Holler. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's tight, man. You were making money off this. Yeah, I mean, one of those checks was for sixteen bucks. You That's sixteen bucks. That's good though. Yeah, yeah. Buy a CD with that. <laughs> and what other totally obsessed people had they talked to? 
Um, yeah, the other ones they didn't. I mean, they talked to like the, the Peter Pan guy. Oh, Peter Pan man. The Peter Randy Pan can man. stand. Okay. Who actually wrote a song about it in the nineties? Did you? Do you want to hear the story real quick or not? Nah? I absolutely want to hear the story real quick. So we saw. I found his site somehow. Someone. I don't know how I found his site, and I wrote a song about how he didn't need to do it, but he did it because he was a passionate person. And basically, like, wrote this whole story about what I felt his life was like. And it was the first internet person I wrote a song for. It was one of my first songs. I used to call myself Lars Horace. Yeah, right. And um, I sent it to him, and he wrote back. He goes, I laugh my pointy ears off. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so that was fresh, because that was oh, like, man. this person, I was like, I was like, this is so dumb. The chorus was, and my friend actually, ref my best man, quoted this at my wedding because I played it for him in college when I first met him. Mm -hmm. he, he gave a speech and the chorus was, Peter Pan man, Peter Pan man, why do you run that website when you just don't have to? That's the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> so he was on there too. That's, oh, I remember, I yeah. It. So it was like early internet celebrities, really. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> like him, you. <laughs> the, yeah, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles lady. Uh, they, I don't know how they found these these uh, Munsters people. They found these people that, that had built their house into the Munsters house. They were totally... I, I got to meet them. You were on like a promoting it on a TV show, right? Yeah, they sent me to uh, they sent me to Good Morning America. Uh, they, they actually paid to fly me out there. Had a limo drive me the one block from the hotel to the station, which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, I walked the way back because I was stupid. <laughs> I got to meet the Monsters guys. They were they were hysterical. They they were both really funny. Yeah, I want. Did you worry that they were gonna be trying to like pick on you and be bully you and be mean? Uh, yeah. I wasn't sure what they were going to do. I, I thought they might go that way. My thought on that was I was absolutely refusing to take this seriously in any way. So I didn't see how they could possibly do that. Um, again, I, I've got the genuine interest and love of Pac-Man and I'm an obnoxious guy by nature. So this is what was going to happen. I had fun with it. I had, they, they put me in situations where I had fun with it. They gave me a megaphone and let me scream in a parking lot. They made arrangements so I wouldn't get arrested for doing right. this. <laughs> That's and fun. Just, and I can uh, tell you're having fun. Oh, it? God. It, it, yeah. No, they gave me an opportunity to be obnoxious and scream about Pac-Man. I, I, I don't know why. Which you love genuinely. Yes. Yeah. So, and, you know, I, so, yeah, I, I had a blast doing that. And I assumed it was going to come out as, you know, just full on ridiculous. When it came out, it was... I, I was not happy with the way the way it was when it, when it first came out. I watched it once, and I couldn't watch it again for a long time because they they did indeed focus a whole lot on the obsessed angle. They tried to make it look like there was a genuine thing here. They came up with these uh, numbers because they had asked me a few questions about how much I'd spent on Pac Man, and then, then then they kind of found a way to make that into something else. I did a couple of radio interviews after that where I kind of broke apart the prices that they put, how much I'd spent on Pac-Man and how much that would mean, how much I would have had to spend per day to get that number and how if I'd actually spent it you know, that much, I would have eventually gotten better at it and not had to spend that much. They And they also said you played it every day in your lunch break, which right. wasn't true, right? Right, right, which also wasn't true. Again, I, I didn't like what they did with it at the time. Um, yeah. And again, it's been years since then and this thing is still, it, it, it's like- Lars my, is talking about, I Lars know. brings it up. Well, it, it's like Sorry, I got 15 minutes of fame and they're in syndication. Every now and then some oh. new internet show will will pick it up. Uh, the uh, what the H3 Productions picked it up a while back and that, that blew up. Uh, I got a, a lot of people contacting me after that. So I, I always know when something new has happened, when some new show has picked this thing mm -hmm. up because I'll start getting a bunch of random Facebook messages just saying, Pac-Man! <laughs> and, and do you think it helped your music, like get you more fans? Uh, not really. Uh, again, uh. the... the uh, yeah, I hadn't gotten through that part of it, I guess, yet. I had told him 
I, I didn't push it. I really didn't push it, and I really should have. It's a valuable lesson for this. I, I, I really wanted to be able to perform the song as part of the show. And they told me, oh, yeah, you can do that. Here, put your Pac-Man cape on and uh, do this. I'm like, sure, okay. So I performed the song. Uh, they recorded the whole thing. And when they showed it, they just showed me doing, like, the first line of it. And then they cut to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So and that that was, I think, the biggest thing that pissed me off about it. Cause I why really why the Chili Peppers? Be, I don't know. They just, what song they just, are theirs? They don't uh, have a Pac-Man song, right? No, the, 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 yeah. they, went into, they went right into "Can't Stop." Like right. that's like that's cruel. Yeah, I, they uh, could yeah. use their powers for good. <laughs> that's how I look. Who at. watches VH1 now? No one watches VH1. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So I, I don't. I don't know who made these choices or what. I, I, I. Did you get like asked BMI money for that first five seconds? No, I did not. And that's another thing that I assumed was going to happen if they played the song was that that would happen, and that didn't happen either. Maybe so, they were yeah. like, if we pl- don't have to. They still have to pay the Chili Peppers. Yeah, dude. That's, that's <laughs> I don't stuff. Know. You know what? It's like I recently watched the um, the Nerdcore for Life documentary. I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever saw that. It was like a, a 2008 documentary about the scene when it was starting. That to... was, was that the one that was mostly front lot type stuff? No, no that, that was, was Nerdcore Rising. Right, 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 right. right. Nerdcore for Life was a came out right before and it was like kind of about everyone else in the scene. Okay. It it shows it kind of shows how the press was wanting to be like isn't this cute these freaking diy people are trying to make music it's not real music but isn't it cute and the documentary because i think it, that's called trebeking it was like trebeking 10 years before right <laughs> and so it, was, it made me feel kind of like proud to have been part of that like scene for a second it made it clear that the media was trying to use the joke to help get views back then you right, know what i mean and it's right. it's it's, it's I, I, as people who you know i don't know if you were but i was definitely bullied as a kid and it's like when you spare your soul, it sucks. When a major corporation like doesn't like kind of disses you. Yeah, but it seems like you you survived. I, I did survive, <laughs> even though I didn't like it at the time. Um, I went online and I saw that a lot of the other people who were on the show kind of went on went online and were kind of complaining rather loudly about how they were portrayed. Yeah, and were summarily shot down. And I read these and I'm like, okay. They just sound like whiny assholes when they do this. I'm going to not go that route. That doesn't seem like the way to go. You know, because the general thing is, well, I saw this on TV. This is how it is. I didn't realize that was going to be like that. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. I mean, in retrospect, though, it's like now that it's getting it's still getting shared. It's this much later and still getting shared. I've got to respect that. I've got to respect what they did just because it has lasted longer than I ever thought it would. So I, I mean, yeah. it, it, although I didn't really appreciate what they did with it at the time, it's it, it has lasted. It is still amusing people. So Pac-Man is such a timeless character, and the Super Mario, you Super Mario fans and Sonic fans, and mm-hmm. but Pac-Man kind of has this like OG classic originality. The fact that you, I don't know, it's just like I've never seen a, a, an expression of Pac-Man fandom quite right. like. That. <laughs> so it's a piece of the video game history too. Yeah. And I think people are kind of, as our culture becomes further and further fragmented and like bizarre, mm. it's fun to look at these signposts. And that's what like looking at the history of like yeah. the Fump stuff. And I love, I've always loved keeping track of like each year. Don't they do like a CD every year, a compilation? They do a compilation every couple months of, of everything that's uh, come out over the last couple months. Yeah. And that's cool to like, yeah. what was Mark? Like I recently came across their, um, Hey there, Delilah parody. Yeah. Which was so, who was that by? Uh, that, that was uh, Spaff with uh, with Robert Lund. So good. Yeah. Like, and that was like 
of that era. And I was like, when would that have been? And, and it was on the 2007 compilation yeah, or whatever. Yeah. How did that come about? And how did you get involved in that? Because it's an amazing, anyone who hasn't checked it out, check out The Fump because it's an incredible, the funny music project. Right, right. Uh, that started, it was uh, mostly Rob Balder's idea. Uh, Rob Balder being another filk person best known now for as the creator of Earthworld. Prior to that, he wrote Partially Eclipse before handing that off to me. Um, and it, it, the, the funk was primarily his idea. And he, Devo Spice kind of took the reins of it. And between the two of them, they, they got it started. The original members were them uh, and me, Tom Smith, uh, uh, Jeff from Raven and Scum. Was Luke part of the original to, crew? Luke was. Yeah. yeah. We were the original members. The basic idea was it was semi-ripped off from Jonathan Colton's Thing a Week. Uh-huh. We figured if we had multiple people doing this, we could do a couple things every week and it, it would be easier to keep up with. And it utterly failed to have the exact same impact that uh, Jonathan Colton's Thing a Week did, certainly. But it still, it, it was a great way of getting new stuff out there. Still going, right? Yeah, it's still going. And I'm there. <laughs> and I remember it was like, yeah. I had a few songs on there, but... It was so cool about it is that they would pay the artists the royalties. Yeah. Getting the check, I was like, wow. And it was like a for the artists, really. Yeah. It wasn't a for-profit entity. It's changed a bit how it works. We accept you know submissions from people who aren't members at this point, who aren't core or auxiliary members. And you know, they, they, if they do a few things that are good, we invite them to join the auxiliary and then they can uh, you know submit whenever they want to. How's the traffic been? It's never grown to the degree we wanted it to. We were really hoping, you know, a few things went semi-viral and we were kind of hoping that would what? Take out to some degree. Do you remember what they were? 99 Words for Boobs was a big one. Uh-huh. And uh, Tom Smith did one called Cat Macros that unexpectedly took off like you wouldn't believe. It was just based on that I has I can has cheeseburger yeah. thing at the time. We're, we're kind of trying now to get into more of the, uh, the the video end of things. We're doing videos for a lot of the songs. We yeah. did one recently for Entire Dog, which I think came out great. Um, and, and there's been others for you know, other artists' songs. And that's kind of helping drive, to drive some stuff there too. Again, it's never become what we hoped it would, but it's still, it's great. It's, it's great. fantastic. It, it, it's out there. And I mean, Dr. Demento listens to it. And uh, a lot of people submit stuff, I think, based on that. They know that he's listening and, you know, he's picked a lot of stuff to play based on what's on the phone. There's hundreds of songs, right? There's tons. Yeah. We've yeah. been, again, we've been doing this since 2007 because, uh, yeah, again, the first one was off of Mental Notes, which probably came out in 2007. Okay. What I like also is on Spotify, if you type Luke Ski or something, you get all the artists that are on there are cataloged within a Spotify database. So mm-hmm. it's like a cool way to be like, okay, well, what's this album? Who else was on this? And right. it's kind of tight. Yeah. When did you first meet Luke? I'd heard him on uh, Friggin' Here, which is a radio show that was on RIT for a while. It was a comedy show. It lasted for years. Devo was one of the original hosts of it, but I, I didn't know that when I moved here. Did Devo go to school up here? He did. I did so, not know that. He moved out just before I moved in. We missed each other. <laughs> Ships in the night. <laughs> yeah, I know. RIT's like right up the road. I co-hosted it for a while, too. Uh, I first heard him on that show. He had a body count parody called KFC Bitch. That's, that's why, And that's why I love Devo and Luke. They're not afraid to do very obscure parodies of songs you probably haven't heard or might not have heard. Well, And when you do that, it's on one hand, you're alienating a lot of people. But the people that you aren't, the people who get it, are really going to love it. <laughs> one of my favorite parodies of Luke is he did ICP's uh, House of Horrors. And he made the Rocky Horror. Right, right, right. Which is, and then his cover, the Carpe Dementia, mm-hmm. is is the great Malenko. And like, that's a very niche subgroup. But yeah. he went for it. I, Luke, Luke, I found on the Weird Al Usenet forums. Oh, yeah? Back in the day, I posted, hi, I'm a comedy rap artist. Who? What should I do? I, sent, I love Weird Al. And Luke sent me a really nice email and helped me get one of my first songs on Dr. Demento. Really? Just out of the kindness of his heart, man. And this would have been... 
like when I was in college and um, shout out to Luke. And then I remember he sent me some stuff and I remember how much I loved the Peter Parker, Peter Piper yeah. parody. That was because Luke's stuff was it was well produced, especially yeah. for back then. Peter Parker was you know, doing really well on the Dr. Demento show. And I had submitted Frank Stone to the band anymore. And that was gaining traction. That started doing really good. And for a while there. That was the first one I had that that hit number one for a week and then kept hitting number one. I was just yeah. like, oh my God, this is really actually happening. And so we were like in, in a dead heat for the most requested song of the year. He ended up beating me. Uh, Peter Parker was was number one and uh, um, Frank Stone on the band anymore was number two. Oh. And uh, <laughs> so I, I wrote to him to congratulate him. And that's my first contact with him. Yeah. Um, so I, I heard his show on uh, Dementia Radio. And he went over what was it? One of my one of my Chutney songs, one of my ones that are just like full on, you know, Dada rambling. And there was one line on there that he just picked apart, which was um, "Justify your kitten swallowing trophy." He decided to take. He was just like, first you have to acknowledge that there is a sport called kitten swallowing, and then you have to imagine that they actually have contests to see who's better at it, and then you have to accept uh. that somebody has said that somebody who won this shouldn't have won this for some. And then he just started cracking yeah. up, dying over it. <laughs> so that's... we were in um in California a few weeks ago, and I have this bit where I do like a parody of the Eminem. My name is Hi Kids. Do you like violence? But I do it. This is about John Cage. Hi kids. Do you like silence? And then I stop the beat. And then you know what I mean? And Luke was the like in the audience, he was laughing so hard and like above everyone. And I'm like, Luke's sense of humor, when Luke is laughing at something, you know it's funny. Oh yeah. If he likes something, it's usually weird or funny or dope or special. Like mm -hmm. picking apart that line. Right. And that's why like Luke like Dr. Demento, his passion is so infectious, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you get to see him a lot or? I haven't seen him in a while. For a while, I've seen him constantly. I mean, shortly after I had written to him, he invited me to perform at a at a convention. It was my first convention show ever. Uh, at to be con, to be continued. Yeah, oh, I, I that's think you good. Do. I think you do. That's good. MarsCon, he runs or ran MarsCon. That was shortly there. Shortly after Tubicon, I, I again was when I weaseled my way onto onto that, and that was kind of the first year there was a. I think it was the second year that he performed there, and Doctor Demento was a guest of honor. Brought out a lot of people who. That was like my most successful show at the time. It was kind of awesome. Um, I would have come home with a decent amount of money if I hadn't gotten my car towed in Chicago on the way back. There. Oh no! <laughs> but did you get Doctor Demento's autograph at that time? Um, I I had been on one of his compilation CDs. I brought that. And oh, had cool. him sign that. It's up on the wall over there. <laughs> that is cool. I've got one more question for you, and then we'll wrap it up because you've been you've been generous to give me so much time. I'm a rambling. Um, Tim, what yeah. is your favorite? I know we're both huge Weird Al fans. We are. What's your first memory of hearing Al, and what's your favorite Weird Al album? Ooh, and I'll tell you mine after. Okay. Absolutely. Um, first thing I heard of him it had to be Eat It. Um, and I yeah I heard that I absolutely loved it. Uh, I wanted to go buy some Weird Al for myself. Uh, happened to buy his first one instead because it was in the it was in the value bin, and I became absolutely obsessed with that record. I, I had I had the record. I, I still got it right there. I can keep pointing to things. This is in my <laughs> yeah. room, so I can point at everything I'm talking about. Did you get the his accordion squeeze box? I did not get the accordion squeeze back. I, I kind of regret that. I, I bought that record and I, I copied it onto tape, and I 
it's I, I couldn't believe that this existed and I wanted to play it for absolutely everybody. I was obnoxious as hell about this. I had a little I had a little Walkman and I had bought a couple speakers from Johnson Smith Company that I hooked up to it because I didn't have a boombox or anything. And I would just bring that everywhere. I'd play it for everybody, whether they wanted to hear it or not. I, I didn't understand. Like Pac-Man. <laughs> I didn't understand why everyone didn't understand what genius this was. It, it, it's because my, yeah, my parents would have to explain it away when they had if they had anybody over because I was like doing like, oh, Weird Al's is this. You know, He's a song this rock I, singer who likes to play, who tries to play songs on an accordion. <laughs> but, but like, I love, yeah, though, though some of those songs are more serious, kind of like I'll Be Mellow When I'm Dead. That is my favorite Weird Al song. I love that song. I love that record. That That is my, probably my favorite Weird Al record. I, I mean, I love a lot of what he's done since then. I mean, I, I don't know if he hates to hear that his early, that people dig his early stuff when he's done so much since, because I know a lot of people are like that, but there is just so much of him in that one. There's so much yeah. emotion to it. I mean, you can hear how him was putting he? so much when it, he did that. Uh, yeah. How old was he? I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. Let's, let's do the math. He just turned 59. This shows how obsessed we are. He's just turned 59. So he was born in 1959. So he would have been 21. <laughs> did you find that with his newer ones, this happened for me briefly for a minute when I kind of got out of the mix of music, I wouldn't know the songs he's parroting. That seems to be a common thing, yeah. That's happened of late, especially in the last couple decades or whatever. I, I like his originals better, generally. Yeah. I, I just I just do. Um, I It takes a lot for a parody to really to really hit me hard. It, it, it's there, There's so much... Like we talked before about comedy music and you know music being a part of that. If if the best you can do musically is a good imitation, that that's, you've got to do something seriously good with the lyrics. Yeah. And, and another thing I like about his first album, he didn't try to do imitation. He, he was mocking the crap out of it. He was playing it on an accordion. It, it's... Right. They're just... It's 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 a punker side of Al. I think he was genuinely pissed off about stuff and letting you know it. But then working with Rick Derringer on yeah. the Eat It, he was being able to emulate the sound and the video is what made him a star. Yeah, definitely. Did Rick Derringer brilliantly engineer that oh, yeah. one too? Yeah, he's on this one. Yeah, produced by Rick Derringer for High Caliber Productions Incorporated. Who who? This is some trivia. Rick Derringer wrote the song that Hulk Hogan used to come out to. I'm a real American. He did. He did. I'm a real American. The one, uh, the one before they used to come out to it with the Hawk, Hawk, that whole thing. Yeah, that was written by Jim Steinman of Meatloaf fame. Uh, yes, that and was... I'm looking over your Meatloaf thing. Yeah. <laughs> and when you met Jim Steinman, fans recognized you as the guy from VH1. Is that, that true? That was such a weird thing. Yeah, that's your <laughs> intersection of everything. <laughs> that I remember. Re I read your so I read your post about it. Yeah. Do you want you want to know my favorite Weird Al album? I, I do want to know your favorite Weird Al album. Can you guess? I don't um, know. Mm, I think it'll be hard to guess. Uh, uh, Linwood. I love Strayed Linwood. That might be my second favorite. Okay. Off the deep end. Off the deep end. And I'll tell Excellent you why. Choice. I'll yeah. tell you why. Because I so saw the first song I heard was Fat. My friend who'd moved to Oregon came back to visit the Bay Area and, and he he was like, You gotta hear this. This guy does parodies and writes his own lyrics. And he some he left the tape in my dad's cassette player. So before I mailed it back to him, I listened to it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So I had no idea like I didn't know any of the songs he was parodying. I was so out of the loop. And I remember like loving, and by the way, the song didn't have Twister or Velvet Elvis because it was a dubbed copy. Oh. So I, so when I finally got that album, that was like, it was like discovering new music. Right. But um, I remember that I went to the store and they only had off the deep end and I didn't know Nirvana, you know, I was too young to oh. know what that was, but I liked that. Like you talked about that first record is punk. I liked that it could start out with the, punk song right and then go into trigger happy mm -hmm. and like i knew the mc hammer parody of course yeah but that moment 
the cows mooing and the sheep right. and everything. And I hadn't seen the video and everything, but like something about that juxtaposition of punk to the surf song. I was like, this is music that won't ever get better than this. Right. Because I understood instantly musically <laughs> it was brilliant that he yeah. could do every genre. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. So that album, I would have been like maybe nine when I heard that. And mm. so that will always be my favorite. And that was to make a long story short, that was the first CD I ever bought. What do you listen to now? Of late? The most recent thing I picked up was the new Struts album. I love the Struts. I've been on an Annihilator kick lately, so it's like if you look at the last few things on my phone. Let me look at the last few things on my yeah. phone. I what can you, cheat. Oh, my what God. What service do you use? Or, do you Google use Spotify? Play. Oh, okay. Does that, you get the YouTube, you get all that stuff with that, so it kind of works out. Oh, okay, the last one I was listening to is I Fight Dragons. Hey! hey. Psyched about that. Uh, listen to Annihilator. Uh, I was listening to Wage War because my son told me I should check him out. That's kind of changed. I, I was, uh, you know, getting him into music, and now he's trying to get me into music. How's he's his taste? Surprisingly good. The first record he bought was uh, Judas Priest. <laughs> it's, it's he's mostly he's mostly into metal. He's mostly yeah. into metal of various sorts, and his his taste in that area is like spot on. It's ridiculously. He was like when we got here, he was like, "Hey, I got this computer at a garage sale, sixty dollars," and on his screen. It had like recommended based on his plays. There was something, uh, an alert that Ministry was playing. Right. And I was like, your taste is awesome. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. The first the first concert I ever took him to was Metal Church. He, he, he dug the crap out of that. You're yeah. a good dad. I, I try. Does he make music too? Oh, he's, he, he's a singer, right? Or he was? Yeah, he, he, was, uh, he was taking drum lessons for several years and he kind of got over that and started taking vocal lessons. And he, he claims he stopped doing that because his voice changed. So it, uh, his voice is in the midst of changing. He wants to go back to it after that. Yeah. Has he, have you ever collaborated with him musically on anything? He did the cover for Songs of the Maniacs for me several years ago. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And what's that a reference to? A title. Songs of the Maniacs. That's a quote by Plato. It's, um, he who approaches the Temple of the Muses without inspiration and the belief that craftsmanship alone suffices will remain a bungler and his presumptuous poetry will be obscured by the Songs of the Maniacs. I just thought that was freaking awesome. <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah. Luke Ski would have a, a field day with that one. Plato calling out <laughs> posers. That's just fantastic. Yeah, you've always had inspiration, and you haven't simply relied on the fact that you're a great musician. You have great songs, great concepts, and you put so much of your heart and yourself into that. And it seems like that quote is being like, if you're a poser who just wears the fashion or just puts on the outfit or wears the shirt of the band you know nothing about... <laughs> Your poetry will be obscured by the songs of the maniacs who are the people who are actually inspired. Right. Am, I, am I interpreting that right, you that, think? That's, that's how I see it, yeah. What's the best way people can both follow you, be in touch, and like know about your upcoming releases? I have a website I never update, wormquartet.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter, t at wormquartet, strangely. Your tweets are great. Thank you, sir. I love your Twitter presence. <laughs> I have fun with that. <laughs> Um, Facebook page, of course, all that crap. I, I have not, I have not yet embraced much beyond that. Uh, had an Instagram. I haven't done anything with it. I should probably do something with that one. What do you use, Lars? I'm, I like Twitter. Yeah. I don't like how Facebook, you have to pay for people to see what you're saying. Yeah. But yeah. And Instagram's cool. Cause I like the story element, which yeah. is, but right. what about on music platform? Where do you prefer people listen to you? Oh, well, the Fump is an obvious one. Yeah. Um, yeah, Amazon, Google Play, Spotify, wherever the hell it's all out there. I mean, yeah. every time you hear me on Spotify, if you listen to me like nine or ten times, I might get a penny out of that. Holler. That's tight. <laughs> when do you think your next record might come out? I am really hoping this next year. Yo, and I also <laughs> wanted to say, we did not touch on this. You did a cover of the Mad, 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 Mad Lib, 
And you also did the music on our collaboration for the Metrics cover. Right. Which is now almost 10 years old, that song. Oh, my God. Okay, so (laughs) next year, new record, maybe. Yes. Hoping. I'm going to make new things. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look, just just, don't don't, don't go away. Please, I'm sorry. I'll make new things. (laughs) That's all I got. I'm tired. I'm sorry. Heartfelt. (laughs) Thank you, Tim. We love you. Peace. Oh, and also, let's shout out. Can we shout out some of the fun people real quick? Let's do that. Luke Ski. Woo! Uh, uh, Devo Spice, who now, does he go by Devo Spice still? Still goes by Devo Spice, yes. Um, but he was, his group is no longer, he used to call he, himself. Sudden Death. Yeah, that's Sudden Death fun. back in the day. Insane Ian. Definitely. Power Salad? Power Salad. Chris. Who am I missing? Who am I missing? Tom Smith. I haven't seen you in a while, Tom. How are you? How many Raymond total, and Scum. Totally people, how many totally people are on there? Hundred or know. like fifty? It, it's yeah, lower than a hundred certainly. As far as the people who are like in the auxiliary, probably probably in the fifty range would be my guess. I was briefly in the auxiliary, I think, or auxiliary auxiliary. Are you not anymore? Am I still? I bet you still are. All right, I, I bet I bet you can still put a song on there. I don't know. I guess we'll find <laughs> out. All right. Well, this is been the MC Lars podcast with Warm Quartet. Thank you. Peace. Peace.
song is awesome. Okay, so that was Warp Quartet. Be sure to check out his music. Be sure to check out our collaborations. And if you're in Rochester and you have the chance to go see him, go see him because that dude rocks. Next week, we have a coup of an artist. I'm not talking about Boots Riley, even though I do love the coup. <laughs> we have Adam Gorin of Adam and His Package. That is right. So Adam and His Package, some of you might know, is a one-man pop punk, not pop punk, but synth punk band from Philadelphia. And uh, the dude toured the world, inspired tons of people, like including Worm Quartet, myself, a lot of the nerdcore guys. And he went into retirement in 2003, and since then he's only played two shows at the Fest in uh, Florida, and one of which I was on the show, I opened for him. And so he's a science teacher now in Philadelphia, but I went to his house and interviewed him about life and art and everything, and it's a great interview. So probably one of my favorite musicians of all time I get to talk to him. That's next week. Tune into that. In the meantime, have a great Valentine's Day. Thank you to all the Patreon supporters and all the uh, podcast supporters. It's really awesome doing this. I hope you're all doing well, and I'll see you next week. All right, take care. Bye.